I don't know how long it will be. I don't know what the future holds for me. But this I know, if Jesus leads me, I will get home someday. Beings of heaven, Father, I cannot wait to that day, Lord, when we cross over from this life to the next. When we see Jesus face to face, our faith shall finally be made sight in his presence. No more suffering. No more death. No more addictions. No more issues. No more disappointments. No more grief. No more burdens. But just pleasure evermore. Forever peace in your presence. Oh, Father. Until that day, Lord, I pray that you'll give us a taste, Father, a taste, breadcrumbs of of what it's going to be one day. You know our needs. You know what we're dealing with. Our families, our health, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, our country, the world is in need of a God who is good, a God who is personal, a God who who enjoys to forgive, a God who rained down grace without limits. We need that this morning. We need you, Father, to speak your truth into our life, into the places where we truly live, into those dark corners of our soul. We need your word to come there. We need the light of truth to shine there. Now you are doing us with what we can't do in ourselves. And that is to lead us closer to your heart. To a greater understanding of who you are. That though this life is filled with great suffering and, and disappointments. That our God would never forsake us. Our God would never leave us hanging. Our God would would never abandon us. Our God would forever be by our side, comforting us, sustaining us, guiding us, leading us home to glory. Our God. Our God. Jesus is His name. In Your name I pray. If you have your Bible, please open it to Ruth chapter 2. For we all have a trail lagging behind our life. All of us. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how you grew up. You have a trail following you. It followed you here this morning. In fact, it could be the reason why you're here this morning. Because some of us are, are held prisoner by something that holds down a trail in our life. Something that we haven't gotten over yet. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, if Naomi was here, that is Naomi in the Bible, if she was sitting right here, she would have said, Amen, Pastor. (laughs) 
You know, you know why? Because she was honest and upfront about what she went through. What did she tell the women on her arrival into Bethlehem? Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me lovely. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. We have seen that Naomi was angry. She was bitter. She was in grief because of her loss. She lost her husband, her two sons. She was a widow. She was childless. She had probably no material or financial resources. She said to herself, I went away for and the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. Nothing. No gas in the car. Stuck on the side of the road, empty. But was that entirely true? Was he really that empty? I don't think so, because the Lord did intervene into her grief and pain. You see, the trail of her life and the trail of your life, it's just not filled with life experiences, but also with the Lord's intervention into those experiences. He intervenes in everything you go through. You've got to understand that as people of God, that he is in the midst of everything you go through in this life. And that was the case for Naomi. First, she heard that the Lord had visited his people with food and gave, given them food in Bethlehem. That's an intervention. She had the loyalty and devotion of her daughter-in-law, especially Ruth. That's the Lord's moving. The fact that they returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season. You think that was by accident? That's divine intervention. And this morning, we're going to see the Lord intervene once again. We're going to see some other things that held down spots on the trail of her life, and that was kindness and favor. So if you have the word, begin, look at Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of hers, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, and whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and gleam among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she, so she set out and went to glean in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Amalelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers says, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me gleam and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another's field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bound to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz, but Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since, she, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord will pay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. 
Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is God's word. Lord, as we come to your truth, as we come to your scriptures, as we come to your holy word, my prayers to the Holy Spirit, Lord, will take what is preached and apply it to all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When Naomi tried to depart from her daughter-in-law, she, she gave them a motherly blessing. And I talked about this last week. She told, she prayed over them, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. You see, upon her arrival into Bethlehem, they needed the Lord to answer this prayer. They needed the Lord to answer this prayer to extend kindness. Both Naomi and Ruth, they were in need of kindness and favor. They were in need of someone to extend to them mercy and compassion when they got to Bethlehem. In verse 2, Ruth asked Naomi if she can go glean behind anyone who would be kind enough to let her do it. What do you think it means to glean? It means to pick up grain that was left over by the harvesters. It's picking up what's the leftovers. You see, in Israel, gleaning was done by a particular group of people. It was put in place by Yahweh as a generous provision for them. Deuteronomy 24 says, When you weep your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you should not go back and pick it up. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. That's the word the Lord gave to, to any landowner. That when they go out, they're supposed to leave a portion of their crop for the needy to collect. This provision was, was given to the needy because they lacked the means to provide for themselves. Ruth and Naomi are not part of that group. They're part of that needy group. They're widows, probably poor. And so when they arrived in Bethlehem, they were in need. They need someone to show them kindness and, 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 and favor. So Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean behind anyone who will be kind enough to show me favor. Notice that gleaning was not beneath her. She wasn't afraid of manual labor. Because, you know, she's going to work in the field and she's going to get her nails dirty. She wasn't afraid of it. She needs to find work in order to do what? In order to provide for them. Because they didn't have husbands anymore. So one of them had to go to work. They needed food. They needed income. And so Naomi says, go, my daughter. So she sets out into a strange land to work among a people that she did not know. Was it uncomfortable? I'm sure it was. But it was also responsible for her to do that. Now, her going out to, to look for a place to glean did not guarantee that she would find it. It did not guarantee that someone would be kind to her. She still needs the Lord to move. She still needs the Lord to intervene. She still needs the Lord to move someone, someone, anyone, to extend kindness to her. The Lord moved. In verse 3 it says, She happened to come to a part of the field that belongs to Boaz. Now, is that by chance? Fate? Accident? No, that's divine intervention. She happens to come to this field. Now, she didn't know the significance of that. 
But as one Christian says, what to Ruth was sheer coincidence in an unplanned set of circumstances, we understand to be part of the outworking of God's gracious care. He shows her kindness and favor by bringing her to this particular field. You see, he is moving, and she is moving too. She wouldn't have came to the field if she didn't leave the house. He is moving, and she's moving, happening at the same time. She sets out to find work, but the Lord guides her footsteps right to Boaz's field. Remember, she don't know where she's going. She didn't have a GPS. Well, this is Boaz. He, what's his address again? No. The Lord guides her steps right to Boaz's field. And when she arrives there, she, she just didn't jump in and start working. She needed permission to proceed. She asked the foreman, please let me glean and gather after the, the reapers. But the foreman, you know, he doesn't give her an answer. And I assume it's because he's not the owner of the field. The owner has to give her permission to glean. So she had to wait patiently for the owner to show up. All she could do was hope that when the owner shows up, that he will let me work. He will show me kindness. He will take notice of me. Again, it shows she needed the Lord to move. A pastor I know was um, doing marriage counseling with a couple who, who lived in the community where his church was. See, the marriage was hanging on by a thread. There were some great issues in this marriage. The couple needed the Lord to intervene. And so the pastor decided, you know what, I'll meet with you guys. We work on these issues. We'll help you guys get on a healthy path. But soon the pastor realized the husband was not doing all he could do to save the marriage. And his lack of effort was driving his wife insane. Not, pro not much progress was made. You see, all of us are in a position of need with something. Needing kindness and favor. Needing the Lord to intervene. Your struggling marriage, for example, is in need of kindness and favor. There's a, a certain relationship that you have with, with a certain person that's in need of kindness and favor. There's something in your past that is in need of kindness in favor. Your health is in need of kindness and favor. Your struggling livelihood is in need of kindness and favor. Your unemployment or your underemployment is in need of kindness and favor. What about this? Your addictions. Whether it's substance abuse or things you watch on TV or the internet are in need of kindness and favor. Each of us are needy in some form or fashion. But not all of us step out in faith when it comes to our needs. Well, what do you mean by that, Alex? It means, to step out on faith means praying for the Lord to grant you kindness and favor and by taking personal responsibility for the needs in your life. The married couple that the pastor counseled wanted the Lord to bless the marriage, but not both spouses were committed to fixing the marriage. <laughs> which means the marriage ain't going to get fixed if both spouses don't take personal responsibility. Many times when believers say that they want the Lord to, to grant them favor and kindness for some need, this is what they really mean. I want the Lord to do it in such a way that it would not inconvenience me or discomfort me. That's what you mean. 
I won't intervene, Lord. But you know what? Make it easy. Don't make it inconvenient and don't show don't make it discomfort to me. Make it easy for me. Save my marriage, but do it according to my schedule. I don't want to go to a counselor. I don't want to sacrifice for my spouse. Do it in other, in, do it some other way. Lord, free me from my addiction, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to cut the internet off or get rid of the cable. I don't want to go to that treatment group. Do it some other way, Lord. Lord, I need a job to, to pay my bills and to provide for my family. But you know what? I don't want to go for the burgers. Give me another job, Lord. You think it was uncomfortable and convenient for Ruth and Naomi? Coming back to Bethlehem, broke, no husbands, no prospects for husbands, no prospects for jobs. No. They were now poor widows in need, in, in, who needed provision for themselves. Instead of wallowing in self-pity and entitlement and pride, Ruth took responsibility and she set out to find work. And I believe she stepped out on faith expecting the Lord to provide. And he did by guiding her steps right to Boaz's field. Right to his field. And who was Boaz? He's a relative of Naomi from the clan of her husband. You think all that stuff is accident? No. He, he's a, he was a, wor- a worthy man. He was even a wealthy man. He was a man of integrity, influence, and means. He was a man of faith. And now he was going to be an instrument of God's favor and kindness toward Ruth and Boaz, toward Ruth and Naomi. One Christian says, God's sustenance and provision for his world are also an aspect of his grace. And his, his gracious provision often comes to us through the generosity of others. You've got to understand that. His gracious provisions for you often come to the gracious generosity of other people. And Boaz was getting ready to be that for these two women. As the story moved forward, he, he finally enters the scene. He comes to the field. He finally arrives. And when he comes, he and the reapers greet one another with, with phrases that highlight God's presence and his blessings. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. In other words, the Lord's kindness and favor be with you. As Boaz surveyed his crops and harvesters, he takes notice of a certain young lady standing to the side, patiently waiting. So he inquires about her to his foreman. Whose young woman is this? The foreman replies, she is the young Moabite woman who who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. The foreman also tells her she's been, she asked to glean after the reapers and she's been waiting here since early morning. And then Boaz finally engages her. Personally, without destroying her dignity, he said, listen, my daughter, do not gleam in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are weeping and go after them. He extends kindness and favor to her. And she needed it. She needed that kindness and favor. The Lord provided for her through Boaz's generosity. She is going to be able to glean in his field for the whole harvest season. Let your eyes be on my field. And his kindness and favor to her also meant protection and well-being for her. And she was amazed. She, she couldn't even believe that he just did that. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? A fourth. You are Israelite. 
I'm, for, I'm a Moabite, but yet you extend favor to me. He answers her question, but indirectly. He says, all that you have done for Naomi has been told to me. So he knew about her reputation, but now he's seen her face to face. He reminds her of the kindness that she showed to her mother-in-law and, and the roots that she left behind. You see, he never told her directly why he was just in the favor to her. And, but I believe his prayer points us to the reason why. Yahweh will pay you for what you have done. Yahweh will pay you for what you have done for your mother-in-law. You receive a full reward from Yahweh. And under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This prayer deflects the focus from Boaz as the source of kindness and favor. And it points it rightly on Yahweh. Yahweh, the covenant God, will take care of you. He is the one that is providing for you. He is the one that is extending favor to you. He prays for the Lord to show her more kindness, to even replace what she lost, to restore her. He expects the Lord to do this for her. Because no, Ruth is now a, a worshiper of Yahweh. This coming under take refuge on the wings of Yahweh is her coming in faith to Yahweh. Remember what she said to her mother-in-law, your God should be my God. That was conversion. And now Boaz is saying, because you are a child of God, you're going to be taken care of. Take refuge in the wings of Yahweh. You are in good hands. And what's her response? Gratitude. 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 What did she say? I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. If you have comforted me, and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. A Christian, one Christian says, a living faith is seen sometimes in giving and sometimes in willingness to gratefully receive. Can you willingly and gratefully receive the kindness and favor of others? Do you welcome it? Sometimes a struggling marriage needs the willingness and need to willingly and gratefully receive the kindness and favor of a good counselor. But it's the reality. Because if, if, if Rocky and I get in trouble, I'm not going to let my pride prevent me from doing everything I need to do to fix it. Amen. Hey, listen. There is no shame in admitting you're in trouble with something. The Lord can use that counselor to help you. The same applies when it comes to addictions. The point is that you can't self-detox your substance abuse. You need some time to go to a treatment facility and allow the Lord to use that. And if you have sexual addictions, any other kind of destructive addiction, you can't self-heal yourself. You need to be part of a group. The Lord can use those things. Remember, his generosity to us usually comes through the generosity of other people. And we need the humility to let that happen. He can use those things in your life. And there are others who have been trying to cope with past hurts and betrayals and abuses alone when you don't have to. You say, well, I don't trust people, Pastor Alex. Pray the Spirit to give you a heart to trust. Because the Lord Jesus is going to use other people to get you on the path of healing. Because Jesus ain't going to come down. I said this last week. He is not going to come down, sit right there, and be your counselor. Well, Jesus, this is what happened a long time ago, what he would use is a brother or sister in your life if you allow them in. 
if you let them in. There's a gospel song that says, Order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me, guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Please, order my steps in your word. As you take responsibility for your needs and your struggles, also know the Lord will order the steps of your marriage. He will be the one to order the steps of your recovery. He will order the steps of your parenting. He will order the steps of your healing. Just as he alone ordered the steps of salvation through Christ alone. You see, this table right here, do I love this table? You know why I love this table? Because it's a, it's a reminder of, of the greatest expression of the Father's kindness and favor toward us. It reminds us of, of how he sacrificed his only son for our sin. He's like, how do I know that the Father cares about me? How do I know that the Father cares about my brokenness, my, my issues in my marriage, or issues with my family, with my addictions? That's how you Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were sinful, he died. He didn't say, well, I'm going to get their lives together. Then I'm going to go to the cross. He went to the cross because you ain't ever going to get your lives together. The table is for those who have personally receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, then you are welcome to partake of this table. Because it's for you. A reminder of what Jesus did for you on Calvary. Now there is a warning attached to this meal that as believers we should examine ourselves so we don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. That means if you have an issue with someone, you need to resolve that issue before you come to the table. It also means that if you're not a believer, then I will, we ask you to observe what takes place here. So before we do the words of institution, let's have a time of confession of sin. Because Christ came to die for our sins, so let us have a time of silent confession. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. Having given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is, new, this cup is the new covenant. My blood, which is shed for the remission of sins, drank from it. All of you. I'd like to call Butch and Doug. Forgot your name.